0: Today's scripture reading is from 1 John 2, 18 through 29. Please read with me the verses in bold. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. My name is Daniel and I have the privilege of preaching this passage today. (laughs) Uh, Thanks Brad. One of the pastors here, thankful that you could be worshiping with us on this moderate summer. Day. Well, if you've ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie, uh, again, you may know this game. One person gives uh, three statements about themselves, two truths, and one lie. It's a fun way to get to know people in the group and to see how good you are at lying. So after all the statements are made, the rest of the group tries to determine which of the three statements is a lie. Well, I might play this game with you. I'll give you three statements about myself, two truths and one lie. You take a guess. One, I was my elementary school's spelling bee champion. Number two. I traveled through Europe as a college student, or three, I once ate a tarantula on a dare. You can guess, maybe you can guess in your head which of those is a lie, spelling bee champion, traveling through Europe, or eating a tarantula. Who guessed number one? All right, number one is the lie. Which <laughs> <laughs> I guess, which I'm confessing. Uh, well, again, if you had read through our website, you'll have noticed that it's right there. I once ate a tarantula on a dare, uh, and that's a long, long story. But uh, I did that in Cambodia, of all places. But <laughs> I was never a spelling bee champion anywhere, uh, I, not in elementary school, not in high school or junior high, and not, certainly not now, but uh, two truths and a lie. Well, this morning we are in the second, book of the, uh, second chapter of the book of 1 John. The last surviving disciple, the apostle John, pens a letter to the churches in and around Ephesus concerning the person he refers to as the word of life. Many in the church at the time were asking questions about the content of their faith, what to believe, whom we are to believe. And this letter asks and answers those questions, a letter written to lead those who already believe in the name of the Son of God to a deeper understanding of faith and to have an assurance in that which they already possessed. So my friends, it is and can be a book for those of you who have yet to believe, those who are exploring the claims of Jesus, and if that's you this morning, we're glad that you are here with us. The Apostle John, he is a man of stark contrasts, light and darkness, love and hate, and in this section this morning, truth and lies. In verse 21, he writes, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. The Apostle John, his concern is to show us the marks of a true Christian. What's the expression of true true Christian faith in life? What does it look like? Well, let me, if I can, remind you of where we are in the text. I mentioned a few weeks ago that there are three cardinal tests by which we might judge whether we possess eternal life or not. We said there is the moral test. There is the Obedience test. Do we obey God's word? Do we live as Christ lived? There's the social test, the fellowship test. Do we love one another or love as Christ loved? And there's the first one, the theological or the doctrinal test. Do we believe that Jesus is who he said he was? In this section of the second chapter of 1 John, John turns his attention to the theological or the doctrinal test. How do you know a true Christian? For John, one of the key doctrinal issues in the Christian life is, what does a person think about Jesus? Who do we believe Jesus to be? How much do we embrace what the apostles taught about Jesus, what Jesus claimed about himself, what the Bible says about Jesus? Do we embrace the Jesus who is set forth in the scriptures? Is our trust in Christ as he he is offered to us in the Gospels? Do we love a Jesus of our own imagination or our own invention? And so John is concerned that our belief about Jesus would be derived from the Word of God and that it would be correct and that it would be doctrinally sound and it would be the truth. And so in exploring these tests, John gives a diagnostic tool which for true Christians serve as and helps us to determine our assurance our confidence but also to serve the true christian in cultivating discernment regarding false teachers how we determine what is true and what is a lie so let's start in verse 18 john begins this section this way john says children it is the last hour and as you have heard That Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. To give you a little bit of context of the passage, there were some people in this local congregation or in these local congregations to whom John writes this letter who have actually left. They've departed. They have disfellowshipped themselves from those local congregations on theological grounds. Now, this is not a division based on the color of the carpet. This is not a division based on preferences. These are not differences uh, in secondary issues or peripheral issues. These are differences on doctrinal grounds or theological issues. And so John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, you know it is the last hour. The verse says a lot. I'm sure many of you are questioning as we read this verse, many, many questions. Some of you may be wondering, what in the world are we talking about? Or some of you may be thinking, I may have come on the wrong Sunday, but we are talking about the Antichrist. Who or what is the Antichrist? When people hear that word, various images come to mind as to who this might be or what role they play in many of the events of life or culture. Their theories range from, believe it or not, popes. There are presidents, four presidents on this list. There are even pastors on this list. Some who have tried to identify who the Antichrist is and have found uh, all sorts of people to fill that particular characteristic of who that individual might be, some say evil alliances, or different countries, or maybe a sinister individual like Nero of the New Testament and First Peter, or perhaps someone like Stalin or or Hitler himself. Many have tried to work out when this Antichrist might come, and how we might identify him when he does. There are all sorts of questions, I'm sure, as we read this passage, but let me just make a few observations here. One, it's a question. Do you know how many times the word Antichrist is mentioned in all of Scripture? 100? 50? 25? 10? five times. In all the Scripture, only mentioned five times. I couldn't believe it when I read it. Five times, and four of them appear in 1 John. Four times in 1 John. And at the one additional time mentioned in 2 John. So (laughs) nobody else mentions it. Uh, Jesus isn't mentioned, not in the book of Daniel or Revelation, not by Paul. And what's funny is that Silas, if you know who Silas is, Silas is a a man who accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys, uh, actually one missionary journey, and he's mentioned 12 times, 12 times. That's more than double how often Antichrist is found in all of Scripture, two and a half times more. Let me give you another observation, two, just because he's mentioned only a handful of times doesn't mean that the Antichrist is not a person or a force to be reckoned with. The Antichrist is mentioned throughout Scripture, including ones that I just mentioned, by Paul, by Jesus, in the Old Testament, and in the New. Three, John mentions not just the Antichrist with a capital a, but many antichrists, lowercase a, who have already come. In 1 John chapter 4, John mentions the spirit of the antichrist that is coming and is already here, he says. Four, that many have already come is a sign that we are living in the last days, and we'll get to that in a moment. And number five, it is not just a New Testament idea or concept, but it's an Old Testament one. Really, it regards anyone who is against the Messiah, which again, many scripture passages in the Old Testament point to, one who opposed the coming Messiah. The word anti means in place of or in opposition to. So in this case, an antichrist is someone who is in opposition to or contrary to Christ. It can be someone who claimed or claims to be in the place of Christ or stands in staunch opposition to Christ himself the doctrinal theory or the theological test tells us what we believe is extremely important it's vital just as important as the moral and the social tests how well we believe or how well we follow the commandments or how well we love our neighbor are important but john says the theological one is just as vital because John knows that we can err in one direction or another towards orthodoxy, a fancy word meaning good doctrine or good and right uh, theology, or orthopraxy, the praxis or the practice of living in light of what we believe, or correct practice. You know, because you, know, you and I both know that some forms of Christianity seem to care little for Doctrine. But place heavy emphasis on proper deeds, correct performance, required rituals. Some believe it matters little what one believes as long as the correct works and rituals are performed. You may not even go that far and just say all you need is love, right? The only thing that God requires of me is to love one another. How well we love one another is all that matters. And places great emphasis on orthopraxy. And yes, there are some groups that will emphasize correct doctrine. And critics sometimes caricature the evangelical position as teaching that as long as you believe the right things, it doesn't matter what you do. They're both important. And yes, in a church like ours, we can certainly... Be in a place where we say all that matters is what we believe and not necessarily how we live. It's all about right thinking and not necessarily about practice. Yes, we need both. We need three, the three tests, the cardinal tests of whether we possess eternal life, theological and and moral and social. And John's point is that not only is how we follow and live according to the Word of God and how well we love our neighbors as important, but these are the application of what we believe about who Jesus is. Because we're not just called to live a good life, and we're not just called to love well. But as John says, we are to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. It's not about just living well, and it's not about just loving well. It's about following the example of of Jesus, that we know who he is, who he claims to be. And again, here, John makes a point of that by, by saying here, Jesus is love, or God is love, or God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. He makes it a point that our theology is important. What we believe about who God is and the Son that God sent is important. It's vital. And that, that importance uh, trickles down to how we live and how well we love our neighbor as ourselves. As much as we think that and believe orthopraxy, the practice of Christianity, is important, so also is orthodoxy. So what does John say about the Antichrist or the Antichrists? Three things. In verse 19, it says, they went out from us, and I love this language, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they were not of us. I mean, it sounds like a long way of saying, like, them versus us, right? We're not them, and they're not us. John uses the they and us language to describe those who stayed and those who left. And why does John make such a remark? Is it because he was peeved that people were leaving his church? Or is it because of this, uh, he's, he's being vindictive and saying, I'm right, and all of them who left are wrong? I don't think so. John isn't talking about grace sacramental. Those who have stayed versus those who used to come or no longer do. Can you imagine, like, oh, everyone who left is the Antichrist. <laughs> We're not selling that. Uh, but he uses this they and us language. If John, if John's, uh, they were not of us, is a word of assurance. Interpreting the meaning of separation by some, his next words, "If they had been part of us, they would have remained among us," gives us at least the beginning of a reason for their departure. He's talking about a divisive group that left maliciously. However, the issue is not how they left, but it's why they left. The issues over their departure, it has to do with doctrine. It has to do with theology. It's really about who they think Jesus is. But it's not just a who they think who Jesus is, but it's a, a malicious, divisive spirit saying that he is not who he claimed to be. They deserted the church. It says the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist can be described in this way. In verse uh, 22 to 23, they deny Christ. Again, we're introduced to their error in verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies? Again, look at the, the number of mentions of the word deny. He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who, there's the word again, denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the son has the father, the third occasion. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. A person who denies. A person who denies the father and the son. Again, back in those times, uh, during the writings of John, were, there were some who believed that Jesus was just a human, or that there were that uh, Jesus was just, uh, just of the spirit and not of the flesh. And there were all sorts of uh, controversies and discussions and arguments about who Jesus was. And and here John sets them straight and says, Jesus is of the Father. He is the Son of God. He is the prophesied Messiah. And so he says, whoever confesses the Son also has the Father. And these are the words of Jesus himself. And John remembering those words during his time with Jesus, knew the words that he had spoken to them. If you had seen me, you've seen the Father. They were saying, if you see me, you see me as as a son of God, the one sent by God himself. In seven statements in the book of John, he claims that he is divinity, right? That he is perfectly God and perfectly man in seven I am statements, describes who he is. And again, those who deny that are these false teachers, the Antichrist, John says. One of the false teachers who gained some major traction was a guy named Serinthus. He taught that the incarnation never happened and that Jesus did not die a sacrificial death on the cross. In Jude chapter 4, He writes, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. What is he saying? He's telling us that there are those who outright deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the prophesied Messiah of God, that he is the only sovereign and Lord. And John says again here these antichrists, they desert the church, and number two, they deny the Christ. This is something that we read from time to time, and I think it's important for us to read it here, but it's the Apostles' Creed. I believe, in a statement of not just what we believe, but who we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, a statement of who this Jesus is and why we say it, because we can easily forget who Jesus is. Again, these are not uh, secondary issues, but primary issues determining the doctrine or the foundation of our doctrines, the foundation of our theology. It's that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, who came and died for our sins, and yes, he rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Number three, another characteristic of the Antichrist it says here, they deceive other Christians. In verse 26, he says, I write these t- things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Again, it's, I love how it's uh, so easily outlined here. They desert the church, they deny Christ, and here they deceive Christians. Again, here Jesus was no doubt referring to the, these antichrists when he said this in Matthew 24. He says, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Again, we talked about replacing Christ and they will lead many astray. Matthew 24, verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead you astray, if possible, even the elect, the antichrists, they depart. They deny, and they deceive. So knowing this, and again, we're not going to pinpoint who it is today. That's not my intention to figure out who it is, but to ask the question, how then are we to respond knowing what we know? The call, how we are to respond, is in a word that Pastor Brad used last week, the word abide. Abide. One that he said he uses all the time in his vocabulary. Not totally sure how I would use that word regularly. I would say something like uh, Brad and I abided on, uh, on Tuesday in his office this week. I don't think it works. <laughs> abide. John uses the word abide. And it's a, a wonderful word that Jesus himself uses in John. Chapter 15, we are called to abide. There are two things. There are two ways that we are to abide. One, we are to abide in it. We are to abide in it. And I know that may be strange, but in verse 24, the apostle John says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That sounds like an it. That sounds like something. And what John is saying is here, uh, what John is saying is hear the witness and the testimony of the apostles. Everything that has been said up to this point, the eyewitness accounts, listen to, This, listen to it, that which you have had from the beginning, abide in it. What you have heard, abide in it. What is he saying? He's saying, abide in the word of God. Abide in the word of God. Abide in the truth, the truth of God's word. The word of God that serves as a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. Abide in it. What's the best way to keep from sinning? Abide in the Word. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, how can we keep from sinning? Simply by abiding in it. Abide in it. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let the word of God, and I think uh, Pastor Brad was saying last week, it's not just memorizing scripture, but it's allowing the word of God to soak in your heart, right, to saturate and to marinate and to ruminate in your heart, that everything you do comes out as gospel, that everything you do comes out because you have sat under the teaching of the word of God. That you have allowed the word of God to become a part of you. That everything you do, everything you say comes out of that word of God. The truth that is in you. Abide in it. Two, not only are we to abide in it, that which we have heard from the beginning. But secondly, John says we are to abide in him. In verse 27, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you. And he changes the language. He says, Abide in him. The word of life. The word of life. Abide in him. My friends, as we look at this, these are encouraging words. These are not despairing words or depressing words. These are encouraging words to, to lift, up, uplift you. Again, the Apostle John wasn't here to condemn and to figure out a way to, to admonish. He was talking to people who were in the church, who had stayed in the faith, who were persevering saints, who were abiding in Christ. And he was telling them, and he was encouraging them, and two times in our passage today, he says, my children, my little children. It's a pastoral letter. It's a wonderfully pastoral letter that encourages us in our faith. It's a question that we ask ourselves, how then, knowing what we know, how then shall we live? I love it. I mean, he, it's confusing language, I think, when you go through this. But in verse 18, he says, we're living in the last hour. And it gets confusing. I mean, what did John mean by that? He's trying to figure out the end times and when the Antichrist is coming and what do we need to watch out for? And it can be confusing. But what is, what is John saying? Is he saying a literal 60 minutes? We're living in the last hour. A literal 60 minutes? Question mark. Well, if it's, if, it's been, if it's 60 minutes, it's well past that. <laughs> they didn't have uh, FedEx, Amazon, or uh, I don't know, DHL, whatever fast way to get something to somebody in an hour. It's not happening here, right? There's no email or text messaging, nothing like that. And so when, when John says we're living in the last hour, he's painting a broad picture of these last times that we're living in. How then should we live? Let me ask you as I finish. What would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming today? Would you think differently? Would you live differently? What would you do if Jesus was coming in the next 60 minutes? How might that change your life? My friends, as uh, as discouraging as it might be when we read about the Antichrist, the goal of John is never to point us to the Antichrist. It's always to point us to Himself. Because when we look at the Antichrist, it could be discouraging. It could be scary, outright scary. But what John does for us, and rightly so, as he points us to Christ, he points us to the truth. He points us to the truth, and again, there are so many different things, there are so many truths, truths to be gleaned from this short passage, and he tells us that before we abide in him, he's abided in us first. Before we think about getting a hold of him, he's had a, a hold of us. And again, 1 John chapter 3 will tell us, before we ever loved him, he loved us first. And the encouraging thing about this passage is about this Jesus who is the promised truth. And this truth, there's no lie. This truth of Jesus returning for us, this truth of him getting a hold of us, this truth about him abiding in us, the Holy Spirit has been sent to us to reside in us. What an encouraging word. What an encouraging thing to read about when we get to the Old Testament and we hear about God residing among them in a tabernacle and how the Israelites would carry God from place to place in a tabernacle. And then in John chapter 1, it tells us that that God came and dwelt among us he pitched his tent, he tabernacled that same language and says he tabernacled and lived and and dwelt among us. And then as Jesus gets ready to depart, he promises us his spirit and we celebrate it just in the month of May, on Memorial Day weekend, the Holy Spirit coming and residing in each of us. And he says, before you forget, remember that the truth abides in you. My friends, that is the good news. That is the gospel message, not about trying harder, not about holding tightly to Jesus, but about Jesus holding tightly to us. I love that image, image of of the gospel that we hold and the truth that we hold on to, because it's really about about a one who has a hold of us.